This is the EWN Podcast Network. Welcome to Driving Outcomes, your source for inspired solutions to address the most pressing leadership concerns of today. On each episode, we examine the latest developments in applied research and education and how it impacts your business and social outcomes. Our host, Tracy Shirachi, brings you conversations with groundbreaking researchers, educators, and business leaders who are changing the face of leadership every day. And now, here's Tracy. Hi, everyone. I have the pleasure today of introducing Elizabeth Andrade. She leads the Family Assistance Ministries and is the CEO and leader of the organization. Um, Elizabeth, I was wondering if you could explain or share with the audience a little bit about yourself so they can get to know you and a little bit about Family Assistance Ministries. Yeah, well, thank you so much, Tracy, for asking me to to join you for this conversation today. Uh, Family Assistance Ministries exists to prevent and end hunger in South Orange County. Uh, We've been around for 23 years, focused on that geographic area because we realize that it oftentimes is underserved by the just mere realization that there are pockets of poverty in South Orange County and there are less resources available for the community members in that region. Um, I've been the CEO at Family Assistance Ministries for the last two years. I joined right before the pandemic broke out. So I had a, about uh, three weeks to get comfortable in the big chair before uh, we were in crisis response in the full sense of the, of the term. And how would you describe crisis response for those of us that don't sit in your, you know, in your seat per se, but like have an idea of the impact COVID might have had on your organization, but obviously don't know the specifics or details of really um, what individuals went through beyond maybe our own bubble potentially. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So with COVID, it highlighted two main aspects of life for all of us. It was home was critical. So having a, a place to be and then a food, remembering going into the grocery store and, and waiting in the math lines and not being able to select your favorite brand of things and being content to take whatever was on the shelves and being grateful for that or um, having somebody deliver those if you were able to be lucky enough to get an appointment um, through your, your account to get that grocery delivered to you. And so with Family Assistance Ministries, those are the two main areas of focus for us. Um, it's ensuring that people who are in house, people who have who are experiencing homelessness, have a safe place to be. We operate two emergency shelters within the geographic area that we serve, uh, specifically related to serving families. So at least one minor each child in the home, there are children who are homeless with their families in our region, in our county. And um, they're usually hidden in plain sight. They're in cars, um, they're, they're unsheltered, they're bouncing back and forth from a motel one night to the car the next. And so they're, they're really invisible. Um, and so our priority is to ensure that those children have a safe place to be along with, uh, we serve single unaccompanied women in those shelters. So with COVID and um, having it be the health crisis that it was, um, we all realized as a community that we could not have people on the streets congregating with each other. Um, we needed to get them indoors. So we supported in that building of capacity. We partnered with our county to uh, 
build partnerships with their local motels and get people who were on the streets into those rooms and get them access to care so that they could stabilize um, and isolate in place. And then with food, we provide we provided 5 million pounds of food over the course of one year through COVID. And a lot of this food was grocery rescue food um, typically has been. So that means that we support local grocery stores from taking product that is soon to expire that would end up in the landfills, bringing them into the Family Assistance Ministries headquarters and uh, sort for quality control and get them out to the people in need. And with less groceries available to us generally, there was less ability for us to collect those groceries. So we had to partner and get creative on purchasing and buying um, and, and leveraging that, that aspect. But we grew over 200% during COVID. And so then you talk about infrastructure and crisis response, not only to serve our clients, but to keep our staff safe or safe and also to um, do without the volunteers that we rely on because our volunteers weren't coming in. So it was, it hit us at every imaginable angle. But I want to pause for a moment because I think for those of us that are listening, you know, if we go back and think about what happened in 2020, a lot of people who had homes had to stay at home, right? And at the same time, like you said, had the experience of having to get in line. But what you're characterizing is a far different experience, which is if you were living in a hotel or motel more specifically, or a car, and then the you know, mandate went into place that you need to stay at home, right? Quote, unquote. Now your main concern is, well, where do I go to stay for that long period of time? Because you can't stay in your car for that months and months on end and not leave your car, right? Mm -hmm. So there's, um, I want to pause there just for a minute, only because I just want individuals to really kind of compare and contrast like the difference in experience, but also the the severity of it too, as you noted, because that way people can better understand like the challenges that you face. And then for individuals in a very like deep crisis mode, it's not just that they were living in a motel or a car. Some may not have had any like shelter of any kind, but also there is the concern of how do you get food, which is a staple that we've often sometimes taken for granted that we go into the grocery store and get it. But for individuals who can't access that, like that adds a whole other layer of anxiety, stress, and um, detriment in terms of health too. So, um, you know, that's kind of something that individuals I think need to realize. And sometimes, you know, the one thing I always, people always joke about or comment about Orange County is we'll say, oh, do you live near the real, real housewives of Orange County, right? Like people associate <laughs> certain things with Orange County. And I think um, the other acknowledgement is that Orange County is just like any other geographic area. You're going to have uh, disparities across the board within a geographic area and not everything is necessarily the Hollywood version or the um, TV version of what people um, like to think it is. So exactly I appreciate right. just being able to like pause there in terms of that acknowledgement as well. So how did you guys get around, aside from partnerships and also um, picking up food that I think, like you said, would otherwise end up in the landfills, being short-staffed in terms of volunteers, um, how did you distribute all of this, all these resources and food and get it out as quick and fast as possible? Because that's literally what you're doing in a crisis. 
is you're literally responding to the situation at hand the best way you can. But if you're short head count, you're short um, people to really get the food out there, how do you, how do you make up for that? Yeah. Yeah. We, we got really creative. We're fortunate to have some true innovators on the team who um, rolled up their sleeves and said, Let, let's go. We've got to do this. We have to respond. There's no way we can't step in and lean into the situation. And so we got, we, we did away with as much process as possibly could. We made things really simple. If people needed food, they were able to come to us and get food. We streamlined our processes. So instead of people getting out of their car, parking, getting out of their cars, walking back, selecting the, the food that they would be taking, we, we created these um, grocery boxes that included a variety of different items for folks that would help support their needs. And we did a drive-through um, yeah. model. Um, so it, it allowed us to leverage those manpower that we had on staff and the volunteers that were still coming in. And they would load it up into the back of the cars and move them on. So we were able to meet the needs of people quickly through, through that method. Uh, we also did community distributions. So instead of people coming to us, we would go to the communities that we knew were the hardest hit, those that were the uh, lower income level communities within our region. And we would go once a week with the help of some community advocates in those regions. Uh, we would take a refrigerator truck. If you can imagine that driving into a community and saying, all right, let's line up. And folks did. Folks came out in the hundreds in those community distributions to obtain the resources that they needed. Uh, we listened well. Um, I think especially while during that time, people were telling us what they needed, what resources they could benefit from, and we were doing all that we could to bring those together um, in the form of partnership and through the lens of we need, where people are relying on us or depending on us to make sure that this works for them. And these are the folks that um, couldn't go to work, who had contracted COVID, who um, didn't have the space to isolate even if they were housed because they were, they're were so overcrowded in the units that they were living in that there was just no way. So if one person um, obtained COVID and contracted COVID, then we knew the, the rest of the family would and it just kind of spread. And so we, we were going into the communities that, that we saw were the hardest hit by COVID. And I think the hardest hit one has to define because although everyone's been at, impacted by it, I think what we have to highlight is Hardest hit could be like, you need to physically be present in order to earn a living wage at a physical location. So if an individual got COVID, they can't work. That then prevents them, like there's a chain reaction, right? Because if you can't work, you don't have the means to be able to buy food or pay for shelter and all these other things that coincide with that. But I highlight that because sometimes people talk about like, I can't work, like I can't sign onto my computer physically go into an office and what we don't sometimes acknowledge is that it's even more difficult and more challenging than that because you need to physically be present like if you have a job going to a grocery store and acting as a cashier or bagging I'm just using it as an example I'm not saying that's necessary an individual but you have to be physically present you can't bag somebody's groceries from a computer so I think you know hardest hit needs to be further defined too because Oftentimes it's what we associate with is hardest hit and that's not um, the reality of everybody, right? That's such a good point. That's such a good point. And it is 
Um, it is from our own perspective why we can only see it through through our own lens and and being a fam and seeing it through the lenses of so many people who are, I mean, it was just, it's devastating. And for so many of us, um, even who have the privilege of, of being able to work remote on some days and, and have access to the appropriate technology and have the know-how of, of how it all works. Um, it's been a struggle and COVID has impacted all of us. That That is a unifying concept here, but more so for the folks like you described who um, have not been able to maintain, survive, are doing everything in their power. And um, just to continue to outline that, the, the folks in their shelter, like I said, the majority of them uh, our family. So these minor age children trying to do school in a shelter that will host, we have 36 kids right now in our shelter. Can you imagine all of those children logging into virtual school at once and trying to make it feel like they're home so that their classmates don't know that they're in an emergency shelter? Like that would be devastating as well. And so those extra components that most people fortunately don't have to deal with those that that's the population that I'm defining here. And I appreciate that because I just in terms of listeners, right, and understanding like the relationship between oneself and what others are experiencing, like internet or mm-hmm. access to mobile phones, like things that um oftentimes we do sometimes take for granted. Like it's acknowledging that not everyone has access to those, yet we become so dependent on that to function. So fast forward to today, Elizabeth, like how have things changed now that as things start to open up and normalcy on some level of life and social interaction is returning? Um, are there things that you've maintained because of ease? Like obviously, like you said, by simplifying the process by which people got food and received food, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you were able to serve so many more people because of the simplification of it. Are there certain things that you've maintained Um, because you know that, hey, it was easier on us from a process standpoint and we served more individuals um, more quickly or faster by maintaining certain processes or have you gone back to what you had previously? We are uh, at the crossroads of the two. So we are still enacting some of our crisis response approaches. We still offer the drive-through for ease for our food pickup. So that, that has maintained, I don't know when that will no longer be the case because it just makes it so much easier. And, and yeah. we know that nothing, nothing is free for the folks that are coming through, although there's no charge for the groceries, they're still providing their time to come through. And the more time we can alleviate from them spending with us, the more time that they have to work or be with family or, or, or do whatever else that they uh, is on their priority list also. Um, and so that that's maintained. We have been smarter about how we use our social media presence. Uh, We had to learn how to communicate differently with our stakeholders during COVID. And that was a a lot of email, a lot of social media, and just trying to have people who who cared deeply and couldn't be with us in person like they had been used to. How do they continue to be with us um, while they're away? Uh, So we have set some processes up that allowed us to engage both with our stakeholders um, our, our volunteers and our donors, but also with the population that we serve, some text messaging ca- capabilities. And for some of the audience, they may think, well, of course, like you, you want to use technology, but for nonprofits, it's, we're, we're, think about us about 10 years behind the normal um, age of things. Uh, and, I, and I say that being a nonprofit for 
the majority of my career. Um, and it's just a known fact about how we function as a nonprofit. So that's another thing that's maintained. And then with, with our shelter, our emergency shelter does participate in a countywide response effort to ensure that there is equitability and access to emergency services, that it's not um, necessarily a first come first serve, but it's much more so prioritized, the resources prioritized for the people that need it the most. And although I say that in one sentence, there is a common assessment that's provided countywide to ensure that we are meeting the needs of the most vulnerable. And during COVID, it was really through the lens of who's most likely to die on the streets if we don't get them into shelter tonight. And that's huge. I think that's a huge like change too, because like you're saying, not all individuals that need food are necessarily equal. Some people's situation is more dire than someone else's. And how do you identify that early on and be able to, um, for lack of a better word, triage that, which is exactly what needs to be done. I'm curious, um, like technology wise, because it's interesting, although we have impressions that like private sector or corporate or businesses are more um, open to or have adopted technology at a far faster rate. I was going to say like even the government, for instance, is now trying to, everyone I think is trying to adopt technology at a faster rate. And so it's not just um, only the nonprofits, everybody in one sense is behind in the technology adoption just by nature of the last couple of years, because we may have had email, we may have had uh, mobile phones, we may have had laptops and computers, but I think what's interesting and what you highlighted is when it comes to process and when it comes to systems and supportable processes and systems, um, we've all found um, areas where we need to improve upon that from a technology standpoint, mainly because it can help accelerate or make things more agile in an organization and also help fill in where headcount is lacking. But um, I think all of us would agree with you that it's not just the nonprofits that are behind, but also, you know, conversation around corporations and where they're lacking and, um, businesses and even government, we're all in the same boat to a certain degree. <laughs> I think it's yes. just, um, that is the reality, even though I think we liked to believe that corporations and for-profit and business was faster or um, better at technology. I mean, obviously, you know, a lot of tech companies came out of like Amazon and Facebook, things like that. But even for them, they're finding their infrastructure is either weak from a cybersecurity standpoint or you, you name it, it doesn't end I think, in terms of technology. So that's interesting. Um, Elizabeth, you highlighted a little bit about your prior experience. And I was wondering if you wouldn't mind sharing kind of um, what you've done professionally before you led Family Assistance Ministries and have you really drawn upon that experience um, today? Because I think obviously over the last couple of years for all leaders, it's this culmination of all of your life experiences that are being put to the test in terms of leading organizations today. I could not agree more with, with that statement on, on the theme around leadership and, and what, what is leadership. And it is for me a very direct correlation with my life experience. Uh, I've been in nonprofit for the majority of my career. I studied sociology. I love the idea of how humans interact and how we are here to, to build communities and build strong communities and how we do that with each other. It, 
we are stronger together, as cliche as that sounds, and it really is the foundation of my perspective on, on doing this work specifically. Uh, my experience comes from um, working in the sector around preventing homelessness, addressing homelessness, majority around family homelessness. That's where a lot of my area of work and uh, experience comes from. Um, although right before coming to FAM, I was with an organization that served the homeless individual population, specifically around creating emergency response, uh, whether that be street outreach or whether that be mass congregate shelter. And, and in that lens itself to just a different perspective, family homelessness is often economics. Mm-hmm. Uh, people are unable to meet the demands of the financial requirements to keep their housing along with everything else that comes with it. If you have children, you know, um, how expensive that quickly can come about. And, you know, through my career, I've, I've seen families who have lost their housing by a downward spiral of, you know, it could be caused by an, an emergency room visit and you get the bill later and it's, you know, $400,000, whatever it may be. And they just add one more payment plan to the list of expenses a, a month. And you just add enough of those where you, you are unable to maintain. So family homelessness, the majority of it is based on economics. It could be resolved with affordable housing and with stronger support for economic development for for the households. So career coaching and and opportunities for skill set training, that that would really help support ending family homelessness. There are some other factors in that, but not as common as that. Um, But with individual homelessness, there's there's much more that goes along with it. It is homelessness for an individual is the is the failure of some of the other systems. It's a failure of the justice system, the healthcare system, uh, mental health is a, a big component. Um, addiction can play a part in it, which order it comes in. It's, you know, it depends on the person, but those are all components of it. And so it becomes a much more comprehensive approach that it will require in order for us to truly address it. And so my, my passion comes in, in addressing the need for uh, accessible and affordable housing for everyone is from the notion that homelessness is solvable. I truly believe that we can solve the issue of homelessness. It won't be a one size fits all. It'll be tailored to the needs, but it is in order for us to have the strong communities that we all want. Um, and it exists for myself. I want a strong community. I don't want to walk outside and see people living on the streets. I don't think it's safe for them. I don't think it's safe for 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 the community as a whole. I don't want my children to have to take on that issue as they grow up into their careers. And so by the notion of this is a problem that we can fix, uh, that's what that's what keeps me moving forward towards that end. And so how can individuals that are listening help fix it? I think one thing you highlighted was really um, specific to your organization and families like economics. So mm-hmm. um, can it be, you know, if an individual has a certain skill or career, they can help um, teach certain skills or lend that career development? I mean, what are ways that individuals can get involved that really apply their everyday life of what they do to share it with somebody else? And that won't necessarily require, you know, a lot of time or, or extra energy per se, but it's really sharing. Like what you highlighted is humanity, right? The interaction between people. And from that, that's how we learn. That's how we grow. That's how we change. Um, what are ways that individuals can help um, individuals in your organization as well as your organization as a whole? 
your question. So with career pathways, if you think about, regardless of the age, people being at a level of understanding that that may be supported with some additional information and, and making that information available, whether it's through mock interviewing or resume building or whether it's a position that's made available at a company that will require that, that will support with that training and that mentorship, that could alleviate that economic burden for our households, not only for that current situation, but for generations to come. And so I just want to make sure that that, that is very clear to someone that the opportunity that can be created and provided to someone going through right now a situation of homelessness or um, at the verge of losing their housing because they can't afford it. If only they made X amount more per month, they would be stable. And that would mean stability for their family. That would be stability for them as they go further. So um, the employment and the adequacy of that employment, but opportunity to be successful in that is a key component of that. And for who we see coming through our, our doors is that willingness for people to engage And as a nonprofit, we have certain capacity, we have a certain number of hired staff, and and we always look to partner and and receive support from volunteers. The time that can be given to that, sometimes it's, you know, an hour a week, sometimes it's two or three hours a week, that for someone can be life-changing. If you engage with someone, a single mom who's in our shelter, who doesn't know where to start with her with her search. I mean, she's just lost her housing, has been in her car, has X amount of children, and now needs to, you know, get back on her feet. We have this mentality that people need to just pull themselves up by their bootstraps and get to it. And I will tell you the majority of people do. They want, they don't want to experience being in house. They don't want to come to our food pantry. They want to do it on their own. It's how do we make sure that we create those pathways so that they can be successful at doing so. And anyone can be engaged with that again, with a short period of time commitment, a long period of time commitment, whatever it is, it's much more so about the connection and that engagement that you have with people. Well, I think two things that you really highlight is, one is human beings want to be self-sufficient and that's something that I think we downplay. But if you were to think about any any human being, any person, and they had to rely on somebody else, most of us would not, rather not. Most of us would actually not even ask for help. Like we won't even ask for help. Think about that fundamentally as a human being, most of us will not even ask for help. So what does that say about our desire and our need to be self-reliant, right? So I think that's something that in terms of changing um, people's thoughts and pr- process is something to really highlight in terms of bias or what we think, right? But the other piece is something you said was an individual can get involved even in terms of like resume review. I mean, if you think about for those that are more accustomed to technology and using computers and maybe think in their head they don't have time to show up in person or drive or whatever else it may be, there's ways that you can actually get involved potentially remotely and still be able to provide that same support. Obviously, it's not as good as the connection and the person and the interaction where you can touch and feel somebody. But um, I think it's like you you highlighted earlier, it's getting creative about how people think about solving uh, problems and how they get engaged and not necessarily use that as our excuses per se for why we don't change what we do. So that was something that kind of resonated with me is something as simple as, hey, if there's a stack of resumes 
that somebody needs help reviewing or opportunities for jobs that you know about, that just sharing information doesn't require a lot of time or effort. And that's literally what's needed though for individuals that need to know about a job, need, need to know about an opportunity. It's, it's sharing of information. So hopefully that's helpful for individuals that are listening in terms of, hey, I don't have time to go show up and do ABC or I don't have an hour or three hours. You know, the voices in our head always tell us what we think we can and can't do. So I'm always about breaking down those voices <laughs> and those um, challenges that we face. Um, but appreciate you highlighting. Is there anything else that comes to mind that individuals can help do that you could really use right now? Um, you know, April 2022 in terms of resources or further assistance. I think you highlighted primarily um, job involvement or, or skill sharing. Um, is there anything else that you think comes to mind that would really be helpful? I know I'm putting you on the spot. So <laughs> no, no, I, there, there is there is always that one can do. So talking about the voices in our heads who say, no, somebody else will do it, or I'm not equipped. You know, I don't have time for this. We, we really need to make time. Um, and that, that would be my encouragement to everyone is, is find out where you can help serve someone outside of yourself. Um, and not because you're selfish or you don't want to do it. I think inherently we all want to be engaged and we all want to figure out how to create that bigger impact I would say at the foundational level, if there are 30 minutes you can set aside a month, not a week, a month, then you can you can join uh, you can join FAM every first Friday of the month. We have a 10 a.m. Zoom call where we call it the State of the Family, FAM for family. And what the hopes around that is to to provide some information, just generally, like we're having today. This, this is a great opportunity to highlight. From our perspective, from my perspective, what, what I see um, as a nonprofit and the people that are coming to us for support, but also the people that are coming to us to support others and the benefit that they're receiving and how encouraged they're walking out the door because they've helped make an impact in their community. And oftentimes we can say, you know, these are my, this is what I understand, this, these are my beliefs, but having a forum where you can hear what, what are the needs? What is happening in my community? I'm asking those questions. You know, how many of, what percentage, I get this a lot, what percentage of the people who are experiencing homelessness are substance abuse users? How many of them have mental illness? This is the state of the family is an opportunity for us to have those conversations. And the goal is that you leave that state of the family and that you share with two people, two facts that you learned and say, this is, this is what I learned. Did you know that um, we saw a uh, 200% increase in the number of people requesting food from food pantries during COVID. Did you know that there are 30, you know, 36 children in an emergency shelter in South Orange County? Whatever it is, but making that commitment to share with your network, because if nothing else, having that public awareness and dispelling some of those myths that we carry around who's requesting help or who needs help and what our role is to help alleviate some of that, that need. Which I think it's huge. Like you said, like, that it's reducing what we think the problem is and dispelling those myths because an individual that needs food or home or a shelter is you and me mm -hmm. as honest as that it's not we live in an image oftentimes in society and i think like you don't you can't judge based on that image you can't 
you, there's just no way. So I think it's identifying with individuals to know it's the individual, the humanity of that individual. So really appreciate you highlighting the first, you said the first Friday of a month is first the start of the month. family. Yes. Would love to share that information following this podcast with individuals. Cause it also sounds like since it's on zoom, it's, it can be shared even beyond um, geographically Orange County as well. Absolutely. So appreciate that. Well, Elizabeth, I really appreciate your time today, taking um, time away from the organization to join us and help to share more about homelessness, but also um, really the face of who it is that's experiencing it and what they're going through and comparing and contrasting, I think is really important for people to understand more deeply um, what it looks like and who and who and what the humanity of what we share um, as a community and society. So really appreciate it. Well, thank you, Tracy, for making this platform to share and to, again, put, put that face uh, and the characteristics on the, on the folks who, who need um, some support and what we can all do, you know, what we want to do. I know that that, that is oftentimes what I hear is I want to help, but I don't know how. And so this is hopefully a avenue for people to, to get plugged in if you've had the, the thought come up in your mind about what could I do as one person that this allows you with some avenues on how to get engaged. Well, what I appreciate too is sometimes we don't even know how to ask how to help or when we need help. <laughs> we have issues about help in general as human beings. So I think, and we also don't know what we don't know and we're afraid to say that we don't know. Mm-hmm. So I appreciate that in terms of the vulnerability and, and just being able to have this conversation. So thank you. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Driving Outcomes. If you'd like to listen to or download other episodes of Driving Outcomes, go to ewnpodcastnetwork.com. This podcast is also available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and most other major podcast networks. Please also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn as The Mark USA. We hope you'll join us again next week for more conversations with today's leaders who are driving for results and achieving phenomenal business outcomes. Have you ever asked yourself this question? Why is it so hard to make a buck? (laughs) I know I have. Hi, I'm Sandra Yancey, founder and CEO of eWomen Network. What I have discovered after going from the brink of bankruptcy to running a multi-million dollar award-winning business is this. You can't build a million dollar dream hanging around minimum wage mindsets. My mission is one million women entrepreneurs generating $1 million in annual revenue. So here's what I've done. I've created the mother of all entrepreneur success programs that you can access online on your time. It's called Monetize Me Now. It's a seven module online course that is 100% my success formula, covering mindset, mission, management, motivation, marketing, and measure. Come on, take my hand and I'll show you the way to learn to earn flowing revenue for your business. Visit monetizemenow.com for details. Calling all speakers. eWomen Network has speaking engagements all over North America that must be filled. Are you a gifted messenger, author, expert, or successful entrepreneur that can help women entrepreneurs grow their businesses? 
Our mission is to help one million fulfilled women each achieve one million dollars in annual revenue. If you're a speaker that can help women prosper, go to eWomenNetwork.com and sign up as a pro member of our Speakers Network. That's eWomenNetwork.com. Thanks for listening. This is the EWN Podcast Network.